This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. Who is your Lord? Who is your Lord? Is Jesus Christ really and truly Lord of your life? Or is He Savior and your flesh has become Lord? Is Jesus Savior of your life and the cares and concerns of this world are actually the Lord? They're the ones that are reigning and ruling and that's what directs and leads your life, the care and concern of the world? Who is your Lord? The Word says that we are freed from sin. As Pastor David continues his message on sanctification, he will be teaching us the importance of our cooperation with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The more we walk in obedience, the stronger we become as believers. If you're saying to yourself, I'm not very strong as a believer, you must ask yourself if you're obedient even in the small things. If you're not obedient in the small things, you'll never gain strength and grow to live a life that's victorious in Christ. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Romans, chapter 6, verse 15, with part two of our message entitled, The Position of Sanctification. Shall we allow sin still to be in our life that we might experience the grace of God more? And in essence, he says, that's a stupid question. The answer is so obvious. In the New Living Translation, the, the, they translate that verse, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more kindness and forgiveness? How ridiculous that would be. It's kind of like that guy who keeps pounding his head against the wall. He's pounding and pounding and pounding. Somebody comes up and says, well, why are you pounding your head against the wall? And he says, because it feels so good when I stop. And then he begins pounding his head again and again and again. And he said, why don't you just stop? And in the same way, that's humorous. How ridiculous that truth is for someone to say, well, you know, I can continue to sin because I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. I can continue to sin that grace might abound in me. Now, beloved, that's not why the Lord gave us grace. That's not why the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That's not why God called us to him. He calls us to him that we might fellowship with him, that we might have that intimate relationship with Almighty God, our Creator. That grace then allows us to be able to enter into his presence. But if we continue in our sin, then the fellowship of that presence is broken. It's hindered. There's roadblocks. Oh, yeah, you're justified. You're cleansed from sin. But if I'm walking in disobedience because of my sin, then the sweetness of the fellowship, the intimacy of relationship that God has planned and determined in my life is not going to be what it needs to be and what it can be. You feel that your life is separated from the sweetness of the power and the presence of God in your life? My question to you would be, is, is there still abiding and continuing sin? Are you still listening to the flesh, listening to the world, listening to the whispers of the devil in your life rather than walking in obedience to Christ? Yes, even in the small things. Chapter 6, verses 3 through 10 continue on. He says, don't you know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus 
were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in that newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin." For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died in Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, that the life he lives, he lives to God. Paul begins speaking this whole idea, and he brings in the illustration of baptism. And if you've been here when we've done a baptism and you know what our baptistry looks like, it's that big box behind us over here. It's a portable box that we roll over here and we set it up and we're able to do the baptisms right here. And many people have made that comment, and I love it, that it looks like a big coffin. And absolutely, that's exactly, that's exactly it, because that's what it demonstrates. That's what it declares to us, that it is dying to self in order that I might rise in that newness of life, to rise and walk in obedience to Christ. The baptismal waters don't do that. The baptismal waters are a symbol of what God is doing in your life already. It's just like when we come and share at the Lord's table and we have communion together. We receive of the bread, we receive the cup. That bread does not become the body of Christ, but it symbolizes the body of Christ to us. That cup does not become the blood of Christ, but it symbolizes the blood of Christ to us. But as we partake of it, that bread and that cup, beloved, I know that there is a special work of God that works and moves in our lives because of that. Because it's not just simply bread and juice. It is the very work of God moving and working as we walk in obedience to it. If there was nothing special about it, God would not have been so adamant to the point that, man, we need to be doing this on a regular basis. And in the same way, when we come and we baptize believers, there's no regenerational power. There's no saving power in that water. But beloved, when we come and we are baptized, it is that declaration that, you know what? I died to my old self. I died to my old self. I want Christ to live through me. I want my hands to be the hands of Christ. I want my feet to be the feet of Christ. I want my mouth to be the spokesman of Christ in my life. I don't want David back again. I want Christ living in me. I want to be able to proclaim like Galatians 2.20. I am crucified in Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not me that lives. It's Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. That's the kind of life that you and I need to be living. That's what baptism symbolizes, and that's what Paul is speaking to them here. He says, we've been united together in the likeness of his death, verse 5 tells us. Then certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. When the word says, man, we rise up in that newness of life, that we in our lives as believers ought to be changed, ought to be different, There ought to be the very likeness of Christ living and walking in us. That when the world looks at us, 
they see the dynamic of the change that God is working and doing. Well, he goes on in this, verse 11. He says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That very word again, that reckon, and I shared with you, reckon isn't the way that I grew up reckon. Well, I reckon we'll get up, and uh, I reckon we'll go to the store today, and uh, you reckon so-and-so is going to come by the house? That's where I grew up, and that's the way the word was used, but that's not how Paul is using it. Paul uses it as an accounting type of a term, a legal term, just like I'm going to reconcile my checkbook. I'm going to reconcile the accounting. I'm going to make sure that the facts are right, and I'll know that this is the truth. And so Paul says, therefore, or likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is going to continue on in this argument, saying that we are dead to sin, that sin no longer has that power over us. But yet, if you continue to think that it does, you continue to live as though it does, loved, you're going to be with a hook in your jaw and drawn whatever way that the enemy would have you to be drawn. And you will become, in your witness to Christ, worthless. At best, worthless. And at worst, damaging. Because people will look at you and the choices that you make, the life that you live, and yet the testimony that you bear. Oh, but I'm born again. I'm a believer. And the world looks at a believer who's not walking in obedience and says, I don't want some of that. I don't want some of that at all. Because it's so hypocritical. He claims Christ. But look at the attitudes of his heart. Look at the actions of his life. Are you bearing a strong, positive witness for the things of Christ? Or are you allowing the flesh and the world and the enemy of your soul to dictate to you how you should live. When the word says no, you are dead indeed to sin. He goes on to say in verse 12, because of that, that's what that word therefore means, because of that, because you're dead to sin, he says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. Don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Paul gives us a very clear don't do list. He says, don't walk in this way there in verses 12 and 13. He says, don't do this. Don't let sin reign. Does it mean to let sin reign? It means that I'm obedient to sin. I'm obedient to my flesh rather than obedient to the things of God, to the things of righteousness. That I'm listening to the, again, the draw of the flesh, the draw of the world, the draw of the enemy of my soul. And I'm following after that because that's what's reigning and ruling in my heart. He says, and don't present your bodies as instruments of unrighteousness. Bill Brown, who plays trumpet for the worship band, he's ill this morning, but he's got a beautiful trumpet. And when Bill plays it, man, it's beautiful. Now, I can make sound out of the trumpet, but you know what? It's not going to be beautiful. It's not going to be pleasing. It's not going to be worshipful. As a matter of fact, many of you may leave. But the fact is, 
It's the instrument. That instrument is the same instrument, whether it's in the hands of Bill or in the hands of David. But when it's in the hands of Bill, it's a beautiful instrument. When it's in the hands of David, it's not so beautiful. Your lives are instruments that God created to worship him. In whose hands is that instrument being played? Are you giving your lives as instruments of unrighteousness or as instruments of righteousness? Then there's the what we should do list. And that's walking in him. That whole idea, there he says, present yourselves to God. In other words, do let God reign in your heart and life. Do allow him to be the one to direct the choices, the attitudes, the vision, the forward motion of your life. Allow God to reign and rule. Some of you may be familiar with Campus Crusade. Campus Crusade had a little salvation pamphlet out years ago perhaps they still use it and on that pamphlet there was a little circle that represented your heart and in the midst of that circle they had a little one-line drawing of a chair and on that chair there was a small little cross and it spoke about the fact that in every one of our lives there is a throne room and in that throne room on that throne is christ enthroned in other words is he the lead or the head And that illustration went on to show how many people literally take Christ off the throne of their life. Oh, he's still in their lives. They're still saved, but they take him off the throne and they put self, they put ego on the throne. And they're following and being led by that. Let God reign in your life. Take self off the throne. Take the desires of your own life off the throne, and allow God to reign and rule. And then he says, and present yourselves, or present your bodies as instruments of righteousness. How do I do that? How do I present my body as an instrument of righteousness? Beloved, it's by the choices you make every day. From the moment you come to consciousness in the morning till the time you slip off in the middle of the night, that you... Obey the word of God. To know to do right and not to do it, the word of God says, that's sin. If you've been a believer for any period of time, if you've been studying the word of God for any period of time, if you've been going to church for any period of time, you know what you should be doing in your life. You know the choices that you should be making in your life. I'm in the process right now of some health stuff, trying to get my physical well-being back in place. And uh, I actually have this lady that calls me once a week through our health thing and kind of checks up my accountability thing. And she's asking, okay, did you get your cardio up for so many times? And uh, how's your diet working? And all those picky little questions. I say, I don't have time to talk right now. Uh, But I listen, and then I have to be honest with her. You see, there's choices that I have every day. We've talked about the fact, you know, I I get up sometimes in the morning and say, oh, man, I don't feel like going to the gym. Maybe we could just kind of let this thing relax and maybe pick it up tomorrow. But the problem is, is when I don't go, it impacts me, and I know that. And when I do go, it impacts me in a good way. When I make the right choices, even in what I eat, it impacts me in a good way. 
when I take the wrong choice, it impacts me in a negative way. And in the same way that works in the physical, gang, that works exactly that same way in the spiritual life. The choices you make on a daily basis, actually by a moment-by-moment basis, impact the very work of that ongoing process of sanctification in your life. You may get up in the morning and, again, you say, oh, I'm too, I'm too tired to pray. I'm, I'm, I'm too rushed to, to read the Word. And, man, I've got this to do and I've got that to do. And you move on into life. And suddenly you realize that every attack of the enemy you're falling prey to because you've never strengthened yourself to begin with. You've never allowed the Spirit of God to strengthen you at the beginning of your day so that you could be able to stand the press of the enemy against you. How do I present my body as an instrument of righteousness? With every choice that I make. Every choice that I make. I'm seeking, Lord, is this your desire? Is this your will? Now, don't go goofy on me and say, well, does God decide whether I want to wear black socks or brown socks. No, that's not what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying, the decisions that are impacting your life day by day. But even at that, I know that there are times when the Spirit of God will move upon a believer and you're driving down the road and the Lord will say, you know what, you ought to call so-and-so or you ought to stop in over here. You ought to do these little things that suddenly you say, I don't know where that's from. If you're walking in obedience and you're listening to the Holy Spirit, He will direct your lives and you will be blown away by how God can weave the tapestry of your life throughout the day when you're, again, submitting your life as an instrument of righteousness. That last verse, verse 14, he said, Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but you're under grace. That word dominion is an interesting word. It comes from the Greek word kurieo, and that means to exercise lordship over or to have dominion over. But the root word, the base of it, comes from kurios, which means lord, master, and also lord with a capital L, and God. And in your New Testament, wherever you see the, the capital L speaking of lord or God, more than likely in almost all cases... It is that word, kurias. What does it mean? What is he saying when he speaks of, don't let, it, don't let sin have dominion, kurieo? I believe he's specifically speaking, don't let sin be God of your life. Don't let sin be the master of your life, the Lord of your life. And what a sad declaration that is when we see believers who have been in the Lord for years. And they're not led by the Spirit of God. They're led by their own flesh. They're led by their own desires. That doesn't mean they're absolutely wicked people. It doesn't mean that they're going around and and, and robbing and, and murdering and pillaging. That doesn't mean that at all. What it means is they're just led by the flesh. They have absolutely no power of the Holy Spirit working in their life. And every morning they wake up And just keep plodding along, keep plodding along, keep plodding along. But there's never any rise in their life to the things of God. There's never any closeness of relation with with God himself. 
with the sweetness of the fellowship of knowing who God is and understanding what it means to be led by the Spirit of God. There's a lot of good folks, but how many of them are actually led by the Spirit of God, by the Holy Spirit of God? Directed and led because we know and we sense, we've read the Word, we're in fellowship and in communion with Him. We understand what he's saying, and then the Spirit of God is able to lead us to the right or to the left because we're beholding his face and we understand what he's speaking to us. Who is your Lord? Who is your Lord? Is Jesus Christ really and truly Lord of your life, or is he Savior and your flesh has become Lord? Is Jesus Savior of your life and the cares and concerns of this world are actually the Lord? They're the ones that are reigning and ruling and that's what directs and leads your life, the care and concern of the world? Who is your Lord? The Word says that we are freed from sin, not only to reckon ourselves dead, but understanding that, man, we are freed from sin sin. That doesn't mean that I will not sin and I'm going to reach absolute perfection in this life. I understand that, again, as long as I'm hauling this carcass around, this carcass is going to bring up opportunities. As long as I'm in this world, man, there's going to be opportunities for sin. But what I'm saying is you and I ought to be progressing toward righteousness and right choices in our life for as long as the Lord has us on this terra firma. As long as we are here, We ought to be progressing in our life. And the sad thing is, is when Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, throw it in neutral and just try and float the rest of their lives rather than seeking a growth in the intimacy of relationship with Almighty God. Because they grow weary over sin. Because they grow tired of pursuing. Oh, the battle is so hard. Absolutely it is. Doing physical exercise is a difficult thing. To make right choices for the physical life is a difficult thing because your, your body just becomes so used to doing the other things. And suddenly now I've got to change and reverse a whole lot of things. In it. And the same way in the spiritual. If your life is so used to living according to the flesh, your life is so used to living according to the cares and the distractions and the draws of the world, then yes, it's going to be painful. It's going to be a work. It's going to be a struggle of laying those things aside. People who have been imprisoned for very long, if somebody's got a a 20, a 30-year life imprisonment, There's a phrase that they speak about many of these individuals who are in prison, that they become institutionalized. They become so used to someone else making the choices for them, telling them when to get up, when to eat, when to exercise, when to do this, when to do that, that for 30 years of their lives they've been that way. And if they finally get freedom to be able to walk out of the prison doors, now suddenly they're faced with those choices. When do I wake up? What do I eat? When do I go back to bed? How do I live my life? They've been so institutionalized, so used to someone else calling the shots for them that they don't know how to live and walk in freedom. I believe that's the case of many believers. We become institutionalized living the life of the world 
But we don't know how to walk in the freedom to make the choices that glorify God in our life day in and day out. We are free in Christ. What a blessedness that is. But beloved, in our freedom, don't choose sin that grace might continue to reign more. No, choose to live your lives for Him, for His glory. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word, the teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. To learn more about The Open Word, visit our website at theopenword.com. You can download today's teaching or subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Subscribing to The Open Word Podcast is the best way to stay up to date with all the latest messages from Pastor David. To subscribe, log on to theopenword.com, click on the podcast option on the homepage, or simply search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. That's info at theopenword.com. When you contact us, please let us know the call letters of the station you heard The Open Word on and how today's broadcast has blessed you. Your feedback helps us know the Lord's direction for this ministry. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again, and may God richly bless you.